Amen. Thank you, Sally, for leading and coming today. Sally has a gift to come and to boldly sing to our God. Thank you, praise team. Thank you, choir, for leading us to worship. I'd like to invite you to turn in the Bible to Acts chapter 4. Acts chapter 4. We've been going through the book of Acts for the past few weeks, and, and I believe that God has a word for us today through His word. Acts chapter 4, unashamed of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Acts chapter 4. We will start in verse 5, and we'll go to verse 12, and I will share a truth from that passage, and then we'll go to the next paragraph of Scripture, and I'll share another truth. Now, as we go through this, hopefully you have your Bible in your lap in front of you, or your, your electronic device, or whatever you have, the copy of God's Word, or maybe you're even looking at it on the screen. Uh, future reference, we would like to please bring your Bible. Uh, it's powerful. It serves as a just a powerful reminder to anybody that sees you walking down the street with a copy of God's Word. And then also, it may can be used to f- uh, swat away all the bugs that are around. So, give them the Word of God. Acts chapter 4, here we go. And so, as we read through this, the point of what I was trying to say before I got distracted by the bugs is that there is all kinds of truths packed into every one of these verses, okay? So as we read a verse, if you listen or, and as you try to tune your heart to hear from God today, He may say something specifically to you because He does know your name, He does know your heart, He does know your circumstances. Write that down. Don't miss what God is saying to you specifically today through His Word. So you may hear me say a truth that's in this passage, but God may be saying something dealing with you about something else. And so I want to encourage you to be sensitive to that as God's leading. Acts chapter 4, verse 5. Let me give you some context. There's there's a trial that we're about to see. Have you ever been on trial before? Have you ever had to go to court? Have you ever had to go before a judge shaking, knowing you broke the speeding, uh, speeding limit? You know, I'd rather be in a room with a bunch of convicts that's been set free by Jesus than in a room filled with people that think they've never sinned before. So there's a trial here in Acts chapter 4, and we know from last week that thousands of people had just come to faith in the Lord. I mean, all of a sudden, thousands of people. And it says in verse 4 that the number of the men came to be about 5,000. That doesn't even count all the women and the children who came to faith. So there could have been seven, eight, nine thousand. We don't know. Could have been ten thousand people added to the church during this time. So here we go, verse five of Acts chapter four. On the next day, their rulers and elders and scribes gathered together. Now they didn't gather together to worship, but they gathered together in Jerusalem with Annas the high priest, and Caiaphas, and John. And Alexander, now that's not talking about John the Apostle. He's also in this passage, but it's a different John. And all who were of the high priestly family. And when they had set them in the midst, they inquired, by what power or by what name did you do this? Then Peter, filled with the Holy Spirit, said to them, 
rulers of the people, and elders. If we are being examined today concerning a good deed done to a crippled man, by what means this man has been healed, let it be known to all of you and to all the people of Israel that by the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, whom you crucified, whom God raised from the dead, by him this man is standing before you well. This Jesus is the stone that was rejected by you. The builders which has become the the cornerstone. There is salvation in no one else, for there is no other name under heaven given among men by which we must be saved. Now we'll pause right there. We'll discuss this these passages, this paragraph of scripture, and then we'll come back and pick up in verse thirteen. So they're on trial, and you have all the high priests, all these big spiritual wigs together. Now, these are the same exact people. These are, in fact, the very leaders who facilitated the crucifixion of Jesus Christ. Now, think about that. These are the same exact people who went to the Roman government and said, this guy, Jesus, deserves to die because he is claiming to be God. Now, what they thought that they were accomplishing their purposes, but yet God was allowing them to fulfill His purpose of saving the whole world. What they meant for evil, God meant for good. And so here they are. They've crucified Jesus. They have a fear that He's come back to life because things are happening. Lives are being changed. There's a lot of commotion, a lot of things going on. And they're nervous because Peter and John are out there on the streets, out in the temple courts, preaching the gospel. And they weren't afraid. Now, the crucifixion was a brutal thing. It was terrifying. In fact, it was so brutal that we saw just a few uh, weeks earlier, a few months earlier, you saw that Peter, what happened when they started nailing Jesus to the cross, when they started beating him up and accusing him? What, what happened to Peter? He ran. He was scared to death. He said, oh, not me. I'm not the one. Three times, in fact, he denied the Lord. I'm not with them. No, no, no. I'm just here to buy some fruit. I'm not even with these guys. And yet here they are. Now they're taken to trial. They're arrested. The first part of chapter 4 says they they arrested them. They put them in custody. They put an orange jumpsuit on them. No, we don't know that. But they they were, can you imagine these guys for just doing God's will? They were arrested probably had some chains and shackles on their hands. Old school handcuffs, heavy. And there they were, and they're put on court, they're put on trial. Now, they're in a semicircle is how they did it. The Sanhedrin, they they, they were semicircles so all these leaders could see each other and have eye contact. And then they put those on trial right out in the front. In fact, the scripture says they had set them in the midst. You see that? Right there in verse 7. And then they inquired. In other words, they all together, all these spiritual leaders together asked this one question. They had a spokesman. And their question was, by what power or by what name did you do this? 
And then Peter took advantage of the opportunity. Peter, the Bible says he was filled with the Holy Spirit, filled with the Holy Ghost, said to them, and then he gives a mini sermonette, a short sermon. We know Peter, because of this verse, he is probably Methodist because he gave a short sermon. I'm just kidding. I'm trying to make sure we're awake. Y'all know it's true. You go eat at the restaurant, and the Methodist coming out the door. Man, how, what time y'all start service? You have an early sunrise service every Sunday? I say that because I have a lot of Methodists in my family. My grandparents were Methodists. I might be Methodist for all I know. Okay. So here, here they are. Peter gives a short sermon, and he preaches the gospel. Now, this is Peter's third sermon here in the passage uh, in that book of Acts. And I love this. The Bible says he was filled with the Holy Spirit. Now, what does that mean? That means that Peter did not have to do it on his own strength. That should be the most encouraging thing to any believer, any, any modern-day disciple of the Lord, to know that you do not have to do anything that God calls you to do on your own strength, on your own power, your own ability. Just let God do it. Just surrender. That's what Peter did. He, would, he was filled with the Holy Spirit. And there was a boldness that came over him. So here's the truth I'd like to share with you. Number, important truth number one from, this, from Acts chapter 4. There is no other name given by which we must be saved. There's no other name given by which we must be saved. And so Peter, that's the, the climax of his message. He just shares. He says, you're asking this question? And rulers of the people, elders, you're here today. You're concerning this crippled man. This man had been crippled for 40 days, uh, for, over 40 years. 40, different, 40 years, crippled, lame, could not walk. And now this man's leaping around, jumping, praising God, doing the Carolina shag. Anybody ever seen the Carolina shag before? Some people know what I'm talking about. No? Okay. We need to bring that to the coast. It's a good dance. Y'all know Baptist dance, right? It's in the Bible. It's in the Old Testament. It's biblical. Don't let American culture mess up dancing. Let's redeem it. Let's make dancing great again. Okay. So here we are in Acts chapter 4. This man, and Peter's just saying, look, you're asking about how this man can walk. You guys are asking us this question, and you're accusing us for doing something that, that we didn't even do. Because God is the one that has healed this man. And then he uses it as a, an example to share the gospel. He says, there's, there's no other name under heaven. In other words, Peter is given an invitation to the very people who were responsible for nailing Jesus to the cross. Wow. Can you imagine how intimidating that had to be? They're on trial. The very people that facilitated the crucifixion of the man they gave their hearts and lives to for three years traveling and walking around. You think you, you would have been intimidated looking at these people that had sent the most popular man in all of Israel to the cross? And yet, Peter was filled with power. Looked them straight in the eyes. And I love what he says. He says in verse, uh, verse 12, no, not in verse 12. He, he basically says, uh, 
Where is it? Verse 10, he says, whom you crucified. I mean, he just called him out right there. You guys crucified the Lord. But then he said, you know, that's the first part of the gospel. Jesus died on the cross according to the scripture. What's the second part? That's right. You don't have to wait for Easter Sunday. He's alive. And so that was the gospel that he's preaching. He says, who you crucified, but guess what? He's alive. And yes, that should make you nervous, but guess what? You too can be saved. You too can repent and receive salvation. So that's the truth today, the first part of this text. There's no other name given to us under heaven by which we must be saved. Today in 2019, that stands true more now than ever before. Do you believe that Jesus is the way of salvation? There's no salvation in the name of Mahatma Gandhi. There's no salvation in the name of Muhammad. There's no salvation in the name of Moses, the Old Testament prophet. There's no salvation in the name of George Washington, General Grant, General Lee. There's no salvation in the name of Ronald Reagan, George Bush. There's no salvation in any Clinton. There's no salvation in Barack Obama or Oprah. There's no salvation in the name of Denzel Washington, Tom Cruise, or Julia Roberts. There's no salvation in Donald J. Trump. Don't put your trust in a man, friend. Put your trust in Jesus. So salvation in Bill Gates, Beyonce, Young Jeezy, and Lil Wayne, or Justin Bieber. There's no salvation in Taylor Swift or Tupac. There's no salvation in Michael Jordan, Pistol Pete, LeBron James, or Babe Ruth. There's no salvation in Francis Chan, David Platt, Billy Graham, or Adrian Rogers. There's no salvation in any other saint that has gone before us. There's only salvation in the name of Jesus. How many of our saints that have gone before us would be so brokenhearted because people have made idols out of them and and images to to worship them? Mary, mother of Jesus, is number one. I wish she'd come back here right now to this earth and they put her on the news and she could just say to the millions of people that worship her, there's salvation found in nobody else except for Jesus. Jesus. Moving on, verse 13. Now, when they saw the boldness of Peter and John. Now, the word there, a boldness, it's a a supernatural boldness. It's not a boldness that they can just drum up emotionally, but it is a, a boldness given from God. They saw it in Peter. They saw it in John. You know, they they see Peter preaching, but then they look at John. And they probably were watching John. And and obviously by, by how they see the boldness. What was John doing? Well, he was just standing there. But he was so affirmative of Peter's message. Can you just imagine John? He's standing there. And they're thinking, well, Peter, he sounds kind of bold and crazy. But what about John? This young guy. And they looked at him. And I believe they saw the confidence of Almighty God on his face. They knew he believed that Jesus was alive. They saw the fire in his eyes. They saw the joy of the Lord. They saw the confidence And the Bible says they were astonished. They were totally bewildered by the fact that these two fishermen were standing here pronouncing these truths. It says they were uneducated. They were common men. And they recognized that they had been with Jesus Look at verse 14. We'll read all the way to verse 22. 
But seeing the man who was healed standing beside them, they had nothing to say in opposition. When they had commanded them to leave the council, they conferred with one another, saying, What shall we do with these men? For that a notable sign has been performed through them is evident to all the inhabitants of Jerusalem, and we cannot deny it. But in order that it may spread no further among the people, let us warn them to speak no more to anyone in this name. So they called them and charged them not to speak or teach at all in the name of Jesus. But Peter and John answered, Whether it is right in the sight of God to listen to you rather than to God, you must judge, for we cannot but speak of what we have seen and heard. And when they had further threatened them, they let them go, finding no way to punish them because of the people. For all were praising God for what had happened. For the man on whom this sign of healing was performed was more than 40 years old. Wow. Important truth number two from this passage. There is no explanation except they had been with Jesus. That's the only way you can articulate how this is possible. You see, they were uneducated and untrained. They were common. It doesn't mean they were ignorant. It doesn't mean that they had no training. When it says they were untrained and that they were uneducated, it meant that they did not go to the school of the rabbi. They didn't go to the leading ivy school of those ministry uh, in that day. In fact, they didn't make the cut. They had to go back and work the family trade. And they were shocked that these guys, they didn't go to the best schools. They didn't make the cut for the spiritually elite. And they were amazed. The only way to explain it is that they had been with Jesus. And don't you love what the Bible says that they didn't have to come up with some extra special something. They just simply shared. They testified about what they saw with their eyes and what they heard with their ears. See, when we tell other people about the Lord, that's all we have to do is to share what we have seen and what we have heard. And it was not about what they knew, but it was about who they knew. There's a great difference. If you know Jesus, you know all that you need to know. He will teach you. He's our counselor. He's our shelter in time of need. He is our comforter. He's our friend. And then in verse 14, I love that you cannot argue with the truth. But seeing the man who was healed standing beside them, they had nothing to say in opposition because they saw this man. They saw that his legs were working. They saw him doing the Cupid shuffle and running around and talking to people. And and he was walking great. And this was before knee replacements and before hip replacements. And before one day they'll probably have just robotic legs that we'll have probably the next 30 years from now. But this man, supernaturally, without modern medicine, his legs are working great. And they couldn't, they didn't know how to explain it, but they couldn't argue with it. The proof was in the pudding. And they saw it. So the question is, have you and I been with Jesus? This week, have you and I been with the Lord? When people see you, talk to you, and find out about your life, and find out about what you're doing, and your daily schedule. Do they know that there's something different? Can they tell, can they sense that there's a joy about you, that the fruits of the Spirit are bubbling up out of your life, and there's, there's fire in your eyes because you have spent time with the King of Kings? 
Have you been with Jesus? Moving on to verse 23. We'll go 23 through 31. And then we'll wrap it up. When they were released, they went to their friends and reported what the chief priests and the elders had said to them. And when they heard it, they lifted up their voices together to God and said, Sovereign Lord, who made the heaven and the earth and the sea and everything in them, who through the mouth of our father David said, your servant, said by the Holy Spirit, why did the Gentiles rage and the people's plot in vain? The kings of the earth set themselves and the rulers were gathered together against the Lord and against his anointed. For truly in this city, there, there were gathered together against your holy servant, Jesus, whom you anointed both Herod and Pontius Pilate, along with the Gentiles and the people of Israel, to do whatever your hand and your plan had predestined to take place. And now, Lord, look upon their threats and grant your servants to continue to speak your word with all boldness while you stretch out your hand to heal and signs and wonders are performed through the name of your holy servant, Jesus. And I love this. Ooh, you better look out. And when they had prayed, the place in which they were gathered together was shaken. They were all filled with the Holy Spirit and continued to speak the Word of God with boldness. I mean, it shook like an earthquake so everybody could see the power of the Lord. Important truth number three this morning. There is no reason we cannot have the same boldness as the early church. I'm going to say that again. There is no reason today 2019, this spring, here in the Bay, here in, the, in South Mississippi, there's no reason we cannot have the same exact boldness for the gospel as they do here in the early church. No reason. Now think about that. You have, if you're saved, you have this, the Spirit of God living inside of you, the same exact Spirit that indwelt Peter and John right here. In your life, and as you go get in your car, no matter the make or model of your car, and as you drive down the road, you have that same God inside of you as Peter and John. And if you're in tune with the Lord, if you spent time with Him, you can have that same exact boldness as the early church had. Now, how do they get it? Well, it says here in this passage that they asked for it. That they asked for God to give them boldness. A few different times they, they asked for it. They said, Lord, would you help us to continue to speak your word with all boldness? And God, we believe that as we do that, you're going to stretch out your hand and you're going to heal, continue to heal people. We're going to see you continue to grant us signs and wonders and you're going to continue to move mountains so that your gospel can make it to the ends of the earth. There's no reason we cannot have the same boldness. You say, Pastor, how do we do that? Here's how. Let's ask Him. We've got to ask. We have not because we ask not. 
So may today, if you don't get anything else from this, believer, son or daughter of the King of Kings, is just ask God for boldness to obey, but also to speak about what you have seen and what you have heard. And if we do, we better look out. We better look out because God can shake the very foundations of our lives, of our buildings, and He can shake up people that don't know Him. And He can melt the hardest heart to receive the gospel. This was their very focus. They were, this was their prayer. God, would you give us this boldness? And this was their focus of their entire lives. It wasn't, God, I'm going to go do this, and then, and I pray that you'd bless it, or I'm going to go do this, and, and then when I get time, if I, if I have some time during the day, I'm going to be bold for the gospel. No, their whole focus was to be bold for the gospel, and that was their prayer. And then as they went, no matter if they went to work or went to uh, play volleyball or what, whatever they were doing that day, going to get your oil changed, they were bold. Not that they had cars, but that's for us context. You know, I want to say sadly, many times in my, my life personally, I can't speak for anybody else, but I know I believe that the opportunities that God has given me to be bold for the gospel, I think more times, sadly, the majority of those times when I've had those opportunities in front of me to identify with Jesus, to point people to Christ, I believe I have failed in most of the opportunities in my life to identify with the Lord and be bold. I'm talking outside of church services and I'm talking out on the street, you know, in the workplace and in the marketplace and wherever we go. Sadly, for me, I don't know about for you, but for me, most of the time, there has been a few times when God gave me some strength and boldness. But in the day-to-day, sadly, more times in my life, I haven't stood. I haven't been bold enough. I'd like to share with you two experiences quickly, and then we'll close. Two, Two experiences that one where God gave me boldness and another time where I fell flat on my face. And, and by the way, if it was me, I'd fall on my face, face both times. One time I was a freshman in college. I had a history teacher who I believe hated the Lord. She hated everything, had anything to do with Christianity. And uh, I, was, I was, man, I was getting on fire for college that year. And I'm, I'm meeting these people and God's just working on my heart, setting me free from things and, I was fired up, and this teacher was raining on my party. I mean, she just swinging at Jesus. She just made fun of the Lord in class, and she was doing all these things, just just mean as a snake. Just horns were coming out of her head. She was a, a Jewish lady. She was smart. Oh, man, she was smart. A lot smarter than I was, and, and so she, she knew her history, and so she would go through these things, and she would make fun of the Lord. She would make fun of Moses. Now, who makes fun of Moses? Now, if you're a good Jewish person, you don't make fun of Moses. But she was. She was not a very good Jew. So there I was, and I I was just heartbroken. And and I lost respect for her. I lost respect for her, and and sadly, I didn't do what I was supposed to do. And then I sat on the back row, and most of the time, I kind of just take my little uh, 10-minute nap sometimes during the middle of lecture. And and I'm not saying that was right, but I just that's where I was. So I tell my BSU director about this. Now, 
Some of you know what BSU is. James and I, uh, BSU has made a significant impact on our lives and many other people in here. It's just a collegiate ministry on a college campus sponsored by Baptist churches. And so there I was. I asked my BSU director, I said, man, I've got this teacher, and, and what do you think I should say? And jokingly, he said, well, you should just ask her, is, is this class anti-Christianity 101? Well, he was joking, but I thought that was a pretty good idea. So we get in class the next week, and I'm sitting there, and, and, and the, most people in the class would just sleep. Let's just be honest. They, they had lost respect, I think, even people that weren't Christians. That she just was railing, rant about all these things, and so they were all half asleep, and, you know, I was sitting in a lecture, and my heart just began to beat real fast. I said, oh, Lord, she's already started her lecture. I can't say nothing. And uh, it just started beating faster, and my blood pressure went up. My face, my face was red, and, and my hand just shot up right in the middle of class. I said, Lord, and I tried to pull it down, and it wouldn't come. I, I was in trouble. I said, I'm about to fail college right here. And she, she looked at me. I'll never forget that look. I thought, she's going to kill me. She just, just intimidation. She said, yes, do you have a question? I said, yes, ma'am. Is this anti-Christianity 101? <laughs> well, the guy in front of me, he said out loud in front of everybody, he said, all oh, snap. And he moves his desk out of the way, and it's just me and her. And I was scared to death. Now, by this point, all the people had woken up, and they're, they're listening. I said, Lord, please fight for me. I pray, God, that you fight for me. She says, no, it's not. Why do you think that? I said, well, for starters, you made fun of Moses. Where did I make fun of Moses. And now I hadn't been paying attention, but I knew exactly the verse that she was talking about. It just came to me. I said, you talked about this, and that's actually not right. That's not what that verse is saying. And I said, and then secondly, and most importantly, you've made fun of my Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. And he's changed my life. And it offends me when you talk about him. And it got real quiet. I said, I failed college. It seemed like an eternity, but she waited a while before she said anything. I'll never forget what she said. She looked at our whole class and she said, I apologize if I have offended anybody. And from now on, the rest of the semester, I'll try to be more respectful. And I'll try not to say anything about your faith. And that was that. I got out of that, out of that class with a, a B minus, and I said, God, there's miracles happening today. <laughs> now, fast forward to a few years later. I'm in another classroom taught by an atheist from France. He asked the question. Now, Walt Barnes, who's a Southern Baptist evangelist, he was also in this class with me. Some of you know Walt. He may have preached here before. And so me and Walt were in this class, and I mean, this guy's just, whoo, he's just going at it. He just, hate, I think he just hated the Lord, just bitter. And so I just tried to be as kind to him as I could. And, and, and one day he asked the question to our whole class. He liked to have discussion. He says, this is a large class. 
He says, I want to give you the opportunity to share what your spiritual faith means to you. Now, he put the ball on the tee, right? I mean, he just put it out there. And so then people began to share. And I sat there. I began to sweat. My heart began to beat. So, Lord, I don't know what to say. I don't have the words. I mean, and it went on for about 20 minutes. And as I'm getting ready to raise my hand, and I, I mean, I was trying to raise my hand, but I don't know if I would have. He said, okay, we're moving on. He went into teaching the lesson. And I walked out of that class heartbroken because I know God was telling me. He was specifically urging me by the power of God to speak. Now, there's a time to be silent. There's a time to speak. But in this moment, I know it was not a time to be silent. And I know God was urging me. But I didn't do it. My, my hand just stayed down. And I think I, I cowered. And I didn't make a stand for my Lord. And sadly, most of the times in my life, in my life, maybe not for you, but I have not been ready and not been in tune and not made the bold stand for my Savior as I should. And that breaks my heart. Because He has set us free. He's given us all we need in Christ. And He's all we need to know. If you know Jesus, you know enough. And in the weeks and months ahead, I believe God wants to use our people right here to boldly stand for the Lord. To boldly love people who have no friends. Boldly take some cookies to your new neighbor in the name of Jesus. To boldly point people to the only one who can help them for eternity. To the only one that can heal their broken heart. To the only one that can set them free from the demonic bondages on their life. And people just are, have chains of darkness all over them. And and the only way they're going to be set free, it's not going to be just strolling to First Baptist. It's going to be when they hear the hope that's in the gospel of Jesus Christ. And they're going to hear it through God's people, God's sons and God's daughters that He's sending on mission all week, this week. How exciting. And so when those times come, may we be ready to be unashamed of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Paul wrote in Romans chapter 1, verse 16, he says, for I am not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes. Let's pray.